you are at Founders FAQ, answers to all the possible questions of a founder. They should focus on what's the right amount of money that gets them to their next fundable milestone. And, and don't focus on things like, well, we're raising $3 million because that buys us 18 months. Time is not a fundable milestone. Investors don't care how much time it buys you. They want to buy learning. They want to buy goals. They want to buy that next phase to help build your company. Welcome to Founders of AQ. Today, my guest is Steve Barsh. Steve is a managing partner at Dreamit Ventures. Steve has over 30 years of experience starting, leading, launching, and building multinational companies as well as early stage venture work. He has helped launch over 100 companies that have generated over $1 billion in value. As a founder, Steve also started his first company while he was graduating college and sold that company seven years later to MCI, where he went on to lead the combined division. Steve, thanks for joining Founders FAQ. Welcome. Thank you for having me. And my first question is, how do you evaluate uh, founders at the first place? Um, I, I just want to ask the, between the fit founder values and the pro problem that she's solving on the startup phase. Right. So one of the first things that, that I tend to look for and we look at at Dream Adventures is looking first at the problem that they're solving before we even get into the founder. And the way I look at it is we talk a lot about Adreamit and we talk to other people about triaging startups, right? So to me, over 50% of the startups fail because they're not solving a big and urgent problem. So the first thing that we want to do, since we know that's the biggest reason why they fail, is to understand what problem are you solving? What makes you think it's big and urgent? Just quickly, when we think about triaging, it's a little bit like, you know, if God forbid somebody's in a car accident and they're brought into the emergency department of a hospital, if you put your fingers on their on their neck and you feel for their pulse and there's no pulse there and the body is cold, you don't need to order lab tests and x-rays and other blood tests. To me, that's like the problem statement. If the problem statement, they're not solving a big and urgent problem, it's like it doesn't matter what else. I don't care about the team. I don't care about how big the market is. That That is to triage because, again, we know that 50% of things will die just on that issue alone. So first we look at the problem. Later on, we'll look at the team. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the track record side, should track record of a founder uh, should really match the current startup vibe that she's starting? Um, no, I, I don't worry about that. We'll invest in first-time founders. We'll invest in people that don't necessarily have a track record in building startups and that type of thing, if that's what you're asking. You know, there are many, many, many startups. Like, look at Travis, who started Uber. What, what was his background? What was his track record? Well, actually, his track record was kind of crummy and other things. But what was his track record in starting a transportation company? Or Brian Chesky starting Airbnb? What was his track record in the lodging industry? Or Orville Wright vending the airplane? What was their, you know, so track record can be nice, but uh, we'll invest in companies that, or founders that don't necessarily have a track record. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I get it. And on the fundraising side, uh, should founders spend a lot of time to select a specific right partner? for raising to fundraising because the, that board member will come to the board at the end of the round? I don't know. Most of the startups that we see can't be that selective that they're going to, you know, really research backgrounds about who they're going to pitch. You know, one of the famous things I always like to 
talk to founders about is Jeff Bezos met with 60 different VC firms before he could raise the first million dollars for Amazon, right? So a lot of times you're talking with a lot of different firms. So then if you start to get term sheets and you start to get offers, maybe you can start to be a little bit more selective about who would you want on your board? Who do you want as an investor? And certainly you're going to target investors that are well aligned with what company, what industry you're in and the type of company you're building, the stage of company. But I don't think you're going to sit there and research individual people and decide, wait, do I want to pitch this person because potentially would I want them to be a board member? I, I don't think most startup founders have the luxury of, of going into that level of detail that early that they can be so picky. Mm-hmm, I get it. And after that uh, stage, like after Series A, what do you suggest for founders to leverage the board uh, really effectively? Because it's a really top-notch team of a founder uh, at startup. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. do you suggest for them? So, so first of all, it's great to have a terrific board. It's, it's hard to, to do, but it's great to have a great board. I think <clears throat> one of the mistakes that we see a lot of founders and later stage startups continue to make is they're not bringing their biggest, most strategic issues to board members. Like I remember, I mean, I've been a founder multiple times to help run a VC firm these days and invest in a lot of startups. And I remember talking to one of my board members saying, you know, you're the only CEO that ever gives me a call that proactively talks to me about your biggest challenges and how could I help them? So I think to, to use and leverage board members really well to understand their expertise, understand what areas that they can really be helpful in, and then making sure that you're open with those board members on what your biggest issues and challenges are. To go a little further on the answer, it's even when you would do a board meeting and you prepare a board deck, a big mistake, whether it's C, Series A, Series B, that we see founders make all the time when they're going to gather all their board members together, is they put a board deck together and basically give the board a status update. It's a waste of time to give a board a status update. You should create a board deck that gives a status update but identifies the two or three key issues that are keeping you awake at night when you're doing a quarterly board meeting. Like, what are those big issues? You then deliver that board deck. You send it to your board members in advance. They read it, and then you open your board meeting basically saying, are there any questions about the material I sent you? Because otherwise, I want to talk about the three things that are keeping me awake at night. If I sit there and take, you know, a group of great board members and I'm basically giving them a status update, I'm wasting their time, my time, and I'm not leveraging my board. So think again, what are the key issues? What are your big problems? What are the areas and connections that your board member and expertise, how can they help you overcome your big challenges? Because their job is to see the forest for the trees and make sure you're leveraging them out for that. Mm-hmm. I get it. And and on the fundraising side, um, what are the, what are your top proof points to show in a Series A pitch stack? Uh, just traction is still enough, or what are the really core elements of you? Yeah, so I think traction is critically important. We see in certain verticals that we invest in, you really need some pretty significant traction. You know, that you're that you're ordering on a million to two million dollars of ARR these days to get to a really serious Series Series A. It depends on the vertical and where you are in the world, but we see that a lot. So traction is really important. I think it's also extremely important to prove out that you really understand your go-to-market strategy. Most founders and entrepreneurs really don't even understand what that expression means. What's your go-to-market strategy? So you need to understand that. The vision and execution, where's this company going? A lot of times, again, like you're raising your Series A and you'll see a founder talk about in the Series A pitch deck basically saying, you know, here's my objectives, here's what I'm going to do with the money, but they really don't paint a much bigger vision. Investors want to invest in companies that are going to be transformative and really grab a market. And a lot of times a Series A pitch deck, you know, 
like American baseball, it's like, well, I'm going to get a single. Like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get my Series A. But they don't talk about the bigger picture of how they're going to dominate the industry. I think that's missing a lot of times in the Series A pitch deck. Um, also in the Series A pitch deck, the founders really understand their sales model. We focus on a lot of B2B and enterprise-type startups. They really don't demonstrate in the Series A pitch deck that they now finally understand what is their funnel, what are their conversion rates, what's working, what's not working, because you want to show how you pour more gasoline onto this fire, how it's really going to grow. So to do that Series A, you not only need to show the traction, which means you're showing evidence that things are working, but you know how you're going to now grow this company going forward. And on that stage, uh, there are sometimes focus on the valuation uh, on fundraising. Should they focus on the valuation or uh, the maximum amount of capital they are raising? What should they really focus on while negotiations in the fundraising? Look, I, I find for most entrepreneurs, they get really caught up on valuation. And when you're seed in Series A, the valuation is pretty much algorithmic. You you don't control valuation. Right. If, if a startup says I'm raising five million dollars, I'm going to think, well, their pre to post money valuation is going to be somewhere around twenty five million dollars because you're selling twenty five or twenty percent of the company. So you don't need to focus on valuation. It's done for you. Right. If you're raising two million, eh, it's probably around a ten million dollar pre. Twenty percent of ten is two million dollars. So it's algorithmic. So when people will even say like sometimes we'll advise entrepreneurs that are going through Dream It and involve with us. You'll even give a value, you'll give a, a funding range. Well, we're looking to raise two to two and a half million dollars because you're inferring valuation. So I wouldn't get so hung up on valuation. I would really think more about how much money do you need to raise and how much money do you need to raise that makes sense for your business. So if I can just go a little bit further on that. And we have a series on YouTube that's from Dream It called the Dream It Dose that I highly recommend your audience watches because it talks about all of these issues in little five-minute doses. It's another thing, you know, I think a lot of times founders don't even know how much they should raise. And just a quick way we think about that is you need to raise enough money that either gets you to cash flow break even that you don't need to raise more or gets you to your next fundable milestone. Big, big mistake that we see founders make, skipping the whole, again, I'm kind of sidestepping here, should they focus on valuation? They should focus on What's the right amount of money that gets them to their next fundable milestone? And, and don't focus on things like, well, we're raising $3 million because that buys us 18 months. Time is not a fundable milestone. Investors don't care how much time it buys you. They want to buy learning. They want to buy goals. They want to buy that next phase to help build your company. Mm -hmm. And uh, while they're reaching out to you, um, do you more see like uh, warm intros or really clear, clear cold emails? What do they work for you? We get both. We get referrals from other investors. We get referrals. Hundreds and hundreds of companies have been through start uh, through Dreamit. We get a lot of startup referrals from other Dreamit companies. Um, and sometimes just cold outreach. We get a from all over the world. We get all angles. Usually, we find the warm referrals are are higher quality deal flow from us for us. But we're happy to talk to anybody, and people reach out to us all the time. Mm -hmm. I get it. And um, for, the, for the bridge runs, um, it's kind of between like having really strong traction and, and a moderate traction. How the founder should approach the bridge runs? So the first thing is we have a six or seven minute dream at Dose we just released last week on how to raise a bridge round. So I'd say please watch that because it encapsulates the answer in all seven minutes. Um, and that's just on YouTube. Just search on bridge round financing. 
Um, I think it's really important. We see entrepreneurs make mistakes on bridge rounds all the time. They talk about it. It's not really a bridge. It's a peer. Like, it's a bridge to what? You're going to raise this funds and these funds, and how is it going to help you really solve? Sorry for the background noise. How is it going to help you solve the problem? How is it going to get you to that next set of demonstrable milestones? Uh, and we find a lot of entrepreneurs will, will use the term, I'm raising your bridge round. It's usually a sign of weakness. It's usually a sign that something fell short. So also when raising a bridge round, you're going to need to address, like, what fell short, why, and how is this going to cure that situation? The last thing is typically a bridge round. You know, they'll say to an investor, look, we're going to give you a 20% discount for the next round. A lot of investors are going to say, you know what, I'll just wait for the next round. The risk getting a 20% upside just isn't risk worth the risk. You might not succeed from the bridge round. Last thing we talk about, we talk about the dream of dose is if you're doing a bridge round, pretty much all of your existing investors better be ponying up to support the company because if they're not, the chances of you raising a bridge round are pretty poor. Because if your insiders are not willing to support you, they don't believe in the vision anymore, that's going to be very difficult to overcome. Mm-hmm. I get it. And uh, my last question is about after the COVID process, how do you see the uh, startup scene in uh, SF and New York uh, while in investment uh, decisions, how it changes after the COVID? You know, I think things will probably go back to a little bit more normal. It's difficult on startups today. You know, it's difficult because it's, you can't meet with investors face-to-face. It's, it's very difficult in your customer pipelines for most of the startups that we deal with, but they're overcoming that. Um, I, you know, I think when this is all over and we're recording this July 2020, so when this is all over and, I don't know, 2021, 2022, I think things will probably go back to normal. I think more more early meetings will be held over Zoom that people get used to this, that you don't have to do as much face-to-face. Um, I think, I don't know where the market will be from a valuation point of view, mm-hmm. because valuations are certainly down a little bit because it's very difficult on everybody. Um, but I think yeah. things will probably go back to the way they were, except valuations will still stay a little bit depressed for the most part, and more people will do more things over Zoom. And uh, do you have any plans for changing your investment thesis, like investing more uh, remote startups or those kind of No, you know, for our investment thesis, we still believe extremely strongly in the health tech investments we're making in SecureTech. They're big verticals. Um, health tech, obviously, when, in the time of COVID, those companies are, are solving really big, big, interesting problems. SecureTech, same type of thing. You know, most of those are cybersecurity that are helping defend against cyber issues for large corporations. Those problems just keep growing. Our investment thesis hasn't changed And we're seeing a lot of interesting opportunities for companies that are help combating those two big issues. Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for joining Founders of APO. It was pretty nice to talk to you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. By the way, Founders FAQ is in pre-order and it covers the answers to all the possible questions of a founder in a startup journey. Whether revealing life-saving principles for the startup survival path, building A-plus teams, creating an evolving machine, setting up a need culture, or interpreting the true path for the fundraising, you can pre-order it from foundersfaq.com and you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook.